welcome to the Modern Times Podcast. This is Wayne. And John. And we're going to be discussing uh, playoff baseball in the Arizona Diamondbacks, amongst other things, I'm sure, because mm-hmm. we generally get off topic. We, we, we do get off topic. That's a good thing. Yeah, so we'll start out locally. The Arizona Diamondbacks, who just hired Mike Hazen from the Boston Red Sox to be the new general manager. John, what do you think he'll accomplish in the next year before <laughs> they fire him? Um, that's the big question. When will they fire him? Uh, I would say 12 months, maybe 11, because that's when the end of the regular season and the Diamondbacks finish in fourth place. No, I mean, you, they, I mean, all, all kidding aside, they will give him more than 12 months, right? I mean, they're not going to go back on some of that. Logically, I'd say they would, because they've had so many hires and fires in that type of time span. But they've also had so many hires and fires in that type yeah, of time yeah. span. It's hard to take them seriously when they say, okay, this time we're going to be hands off. I mean, the guys. <laughs> I know it's like laughable. Yeah. You say that, oh, dude. I want to laugh. Yeah, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to take him back and he's going to be nicer this time. He's gonna... It's, yeah, no, it, they're, their ownership, they're just a mess. This team's been a mess since basically these guys took over. They've had some, they've lucked into some good years, right. but they've never ha- built anything sustainable. And usually the early years when they have a new GM come in and they give him quote unquote autonomy. And they're usually able to put something together, and then they start second-guessing some of the decisions, and then everything falls apart. I mean, that happened with Burns got into the playoffs in 2007, mm-hmm. um, and he got brought on in 2006, I think. That was when they made the ill-fated decision to go with Burns over Mike Rizzo, who yeah. now is considered a, a well-regarded GM. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Burns is, you know, well-regarded still in baseball. But then, And then they went with Towers, and that was the 2011 season. Right after they yeah. after they got rid of Burns and brought Towers in, they made the playoffs, and then a lot of the deals he made looked bad at the time, but they didn't, but in retrospect, right. ended up working out. And so, I mean, I guess you can also say then maybe 2017 was the year for the Stuart Larusa Diamondback. I mean, you know, they hell, they would have given him one more year. But yeah, but going back to Towers, something like Jake Lamb was kind of a throw-in in that deal. It was Lamb, right? I'm trying to, to the Atlanta. Um, no, that was Drury. Drury, I, I mean. Yeah, right. Drury, and... Yeah, Jake Lamb was drafted. Yeah, huh? Jake Lamb was drafted. Drury, it was Drury, and he seemed kind of like a throw-in. That deal seemed kind of like either either a wash because, you know, Upton never ended up really doing much, and or in the Braves' favor slightly. And now this one little throw-in piece at the end looks like he's actually going to be a pretty productive player. I, you know, I think Drury's going to be a really yeah. good player. For years to come, so something like that. They they're way too reactionary, and with a guy like they just hired, he's got a great analytics background. He you know that kind of stuff doesn't develop overnight. It's you, you find players in the tenth round and on who you know might not be producing at a great level in college or in high school or whatever, but with some fine tuning in the minor leagues, you're projecting them out. Mm-hmm. Guy and it's, this isn't football or basketball. It, guys can be in the minors for four or five years before they end up producing in a way that's going to make headlines. And that, I feel like they're going to fire him long before any of those. Even Mike Trout. Mike Trout was in the minors for several years. His first year up in the major leagues, he hit 111 in very short appearances. And now he's the best player in baseball. Yeah, it's kind of like Robbie Ray's struggles. This <laughs> Okay, audience, I... Wayne and I were having this discussion in our, in our in our prep about Robbie Ray, and maybe we'll get to him later, but let's just stay on topic with Mike Hazen and the ownership. Um, as you mentioned, it becomes 
I agree with you on the fact that it seems like they're the issue at this point. And, and maybe even, you know, Derek Hall. I mean, you know, meeting him a few times in very informal situations that I've had, you know, he's one of those... Um, Do you have a name drop buzzer? You know, no, I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, what you see, and, you know, what I'm getting at is, obviously, I'm not saying I know him very well, or, um, but you, as, as somebody who's interviewed and met people a long, for a long time, um, you kind of get a sense of somebody fairly quickly, and you can identify. Everything you see on TV is basically what you, what you feel when you talk to him for real. Uh, and, and and when he knows that he's not being recorded, he seems like that kind of guy where he's very, uh, he might second guess you. He might think he's he knows what he's doing, you know. And he's just kind of I'm the general man or I'm the president, and you know I know a lot of things. Ken Ken Kendrick I've never met. Uh, my my favorite um, nickname for him though is like Mr. Magoo because I feel like he he owns the team. Like Mr. Magoo used to act in cartoons, you know, like he. He'd get from A to B, and God knows how he how he made millions of dollars, um, you know. But he always gets there. But he's blind, you know. In the meantime, the baseball team can't hit the ball. Um, when someone says your owner is from West Virginia, <laughs> I feel like he just perfectly embodies that. Take that for what you will. You know, and, and you know, it was little little things that bothered me about him too. You know, they said this summer, you know, Derek Hall says with a straight face, you know, well, ownership's not even here to into. Uh, to uh, put their nose in and to, to in, you know, interfere with Stewart and LaRusso, you know. They don't come here in the summer. So then I'm also thinking, okay, <laughs> when the baseball team is playing here in the summer, these millionaires won't come to Phoenix because it's too hot. They won't even come here to watch their own team play. Yeah. And, 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 how, and how does that mean that they're not interfering, <laughs> you know? Arizona sports franchises, as of late, maybe with the Coyotes and Cardinals excluded, seem to attract ownership groups that are like less effectual uh, Jerry Joneses. <laughs> Both the Suns and the Diamondbacks have these owners that want to meddle and are really bad at it. Right. But then they can't even exploit the gravitas they could get from that, like a Jones would. Right. To build this monstrosity of a stadium or whatever. Yeah. And the Diamondbacks, I mean, you can tell, he wants to do that. I mean, I think it's the, he hasn't covered that up very uh, um Effectively. Yeah, I wonder if Hazen came in. I mean, because he's also a little different. We talked about how he's sort of like Josh Burns, yeah. and some people have said he's Josh Burns with the personality. I think I heard on the radio coming in on the on the big time radio uh, talking. You know, these guys who know these people, and obviously they had some 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 problems with Josh Burns, as you know, he wasn't media favorite, but he wouldn't talk to him. And supposedly, you know, Hazen is is Burns with the personality, but. You know, Hazen was a ball player, you know, and his background that you see, I mean, he went to Princeton, so he's obviously a smart guy, and he but he got drafted. Does he have the grit? <laughs> I hear these Princeton well, he's got guys grit. don't come with a lot of grit. <laughs> There's no grit in Ivy, um, but, you know, he he got drafted. He played minor league ball for a couple of years, you know. Um, they say a shoulder injury derailed his career, although I think he was a 100 hitter in A ball, so maybe, you know, shoulder or just can't hit. Um, you know, regardless. Um, and then he, you know, came up on the scouting side. So he's obviously, you know, somebody who's got good experience and probably has a good head on his shoulders and also to kind of handle some of these new things, maybe know those those little rules. He actually pays attention to the rules that say who, how many, how you can sign international players. Like the Diamondbacks have been lambasted for the way they handled the uh, Tomas and um, Lopez signings. But, you know... You, we'll have to see how that plays out, but he seems like a smart guy, and you would figure, and from all the indications that every all the reporters at the press conference this morning 
were talking, you know, they asked about, uh, is he going to have independence? Is he going to be able to make those things? You know, is ownership going to meddle? And of course, they keep saying all the right answers. Um, but you'd, ha- you'd have to figure that he is smart enough and been around baseball long enough that he went into that room and said, well, one of my questions for you is, <laughs> are you going to be fine with me just saying, look, I'm going to go somewhere else if you have messed with me because you got to let me do this. And, you know, supposedly they're saying a four or five year deal is what he's getting. You know, and as we know, they eat some, I mean, they're eating hails last year. I mean, they're going to, you know, it's part of doing business in professional sports is to eat contracts. Um, you know, they might end up eating some of Derek Hall's eight-year deal, which was ludicrous. Um, but, you know, it just shows what a yes man I think he is to Kenny Kendrick. But you'd have to figure that some of that autonomy is going to be there at least early on. And to go full circle back to what we were talking about, how early on they seem they have it. So, you know, maybe we'll see some success early on, you know. I would, yeah, I would, wouldn't be surprised at this point if a GM coming back has had language put in their contract yeah. <laughs> about in terms of decisions, player personnel decisions stopping with them. You know, I could see an agent also knowing that too. Like, hey, if you call me up and tell me to not make a deal, that you know, is a five million dollar, you know, bonus kick into me that I got to listen to you. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, like, I or kick in or. Yeah, or I can look for employment elsewhere, something. Like, I can get out of my contract, contract's null and void with some sort of severance. If, if it arises if, from if a there dispute. There has to be some beyond. sort of check, because, yeah, Ken Kendrick can say, I'm not going to meddle all he wants, but as we've seen in the past, proof's in the pudding. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to know how he's going to treat it this time around until, until we get a year from now and we see whether this guy's been able to make moves that are in line with his philosophies as opposed to this millionaire mystery man from West Virginia. Mr. Magoo. Let's Mr. Start... Mr. Magoo. Just wandering b- blindly through the hallways of Major League Baseball. <laughs> R- randomly choosing to expel Whoa. money. Yeah, just, you know, walking into the girls' bathroom thinking it's the locker room. Um, I can see it happening. I, I, actually no, I said, said Ken that... Kendrick, not Donald Trump. <laughs> but, um, tsh- He's here we all get, the time, folks. But we get political. <laughs> oh, and, and again, you know, the Ken Kendrick is one of the uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, you know, fighters, he, right? I mean, that has come I, out too. His is wife he, is I, one of the. I would assume he is. Well, she's been, you know, she, they're they're one of the Republican. Uh, you know, they donate a lot of money to uh, conservative movements, and she's one of the ones that's giving to the anti-Donald pack. So she's one of them rogue nation. You know. Uh, Republican nation things. Anyway, stay back on the sports topic. Uh, at this press conference today, Hazen said he he liked the roster. Said that they were going to have you know an easy fix somehow. You know he's obviously not talking details because he doesn't want to spoil any potential deals. But saying you know the pitching staff is going to be significantly better than next year. He likes the roster, especially the players, um, the position players. Um, we, you know, <laughs> looking over at Wade, sorry. Uh, looking over at Wade, and I know he's just like, yeah. So, uh, well, what do you think about the roster, Wade? I think their pitching staff is in good shape if these guys pitch up to their potential. Everyone outside of Ray has <laughs> pitched well. Well, but like you said, he's young. He's got time to improve. And he, he pitched well in 2015. I'll grant him that. Um, the record doesn't reflect it, but he had a nice ERA. But everyone else, Granky. Miller mostly have they've done it before they've shown that they can pitch well so it's at this point it's really up to the organization up to the coaching staff to get these guys right 
I mean, both of them do have their own, seem like they do have some head case in, issues that so someone needs to kind of get their heads on straight and make sure they're not freaking out up there on the mound. But if these guys can perform up to just their potential, then yeah, their pitching is in great shape and their offense was still producing pretty well last year. Yeah, and even there, I think they had some young players trying to um, achieve well, to Tom- levels. I mean, you know, Tomas had his best offensive year by far. Thirty home runs. And yeah, you can near hundred You can stick that Tomas in left field and deal with the fielding issues. You right. can't stick him back there when he's hitting ten home runs a year. Right. If he's hitting thirty, going if he's going thirty one hundred or something close. Yeah, I mean that bad. deal doesn't look bad now. And you no. know, for all the people that were you know downplaying it. Um, they wouldn't have been there to really criticize if he was still mashing 30 home runs at Reno while he was building. But would he have learned anything? And, you know, I think his 2015, um, you know, all bad year, you know, he hadn't played baseball in 18 months. And then he hadn't played baseball in 18 months, never played... never. I think never he had done anything in, athletic in 18 months. <laughs> well, you know, if we consider, uh, you know, somehow getting to, to the States from Cuba, yeah. Uh, but, you know... But, you know, in reality, he had never even played in, in to this kind of competition. For him to come in and do what he did in 2015, I think, you know, for anybody who plays that down, I think, yeah, you, you know, you hadn't really been there. So you can't criticize that. That was actually an impressive year for where he had played before and, um, yeah, and the level that he played off. at. Yeah. You know, and he's only he's still, what, 25, I think, 24? I think he's a little older than that. but 26? He's still, I think he's 26, 27. You know, I mean, um, you know, we can look that up probably. You know, we need our, our check. But, you know, besides Goldschmidt, it was a young team. I mean, uh, and I mean, Segura had a great year. He, he might not be and able to replicate it. But Owings played well for switching from center field to shortstop. Lamb had a up upside to the first half and then kind of, you know, petered off. But, again, he's another young guy. He's 23, 24. Even, even Goldschmidt had a terrible start of the year. Did he always start slow, but he started... Slower than he had in a long yeah, time. He started horrible. Which this team couldn't have no. just because everyone else was starting so slow. Yeah. They, they kind of needed him to carry. With a healthy AJ Pollock, what happens next year? I mean, it's totally different. Um, you know, and I know it'll come back so you can make him a defensive replacement late in games if that's the way you want to go with it. Although Owings acquitted himself nicely in a large number of games back there. I think he was upward near 98% in his fielding percentage, which is what you need out of a shortstop. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I think you need to find out what you're going to do with Drury and Lamb and who's playing where. Because I think both of these guys need to be in the lineup every day. Yeah, you know, and you got pieces, you know, like we were talking yeah. about. I mean, Haniger's, you know, Haniger is a decent piece. Uh, you know, Tomas is a good piece. Pollock's a good piece. You know, where you put all these guys, um, you know, and then you got Drury, you got too many third basemen and second basemen, and guys that can hit near 300 and might be all-stars down the line. I mean, you obviously have good position players. You're right. 25, by the way. Who, Tomas? Yeah. Hey, well, you know, it happens every once in a while. Beef Wellington behind the plate. Another great trade. Yeah. That was a good addition. You know, and they wanted, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and... Again, going back to Tony Stewart, he made those deals. And and you can say what you want, but it seemed like, you know, the few things that Stewart said were clear enough, I think, to me. And it was, they just never got along with Ken Kendrick and ownership and probably Derek Hall. I mean, too Opie and West Virginia for a guy like Dave Stewart who, you know, people can't take it. I don't, I don't think they can take his attitude and the way he presents himself. You know, and, you know, we could go into other situations. I don't think situations. Tony Russo gets along with most people. 
I mean, he's staying. And supposedly he was part of the Hazen interviews, which, you know, was referenced when I, you know, you hear the the, the, you know, the press conference was... I just picture him sitting with his arms folded in the back of the room, and anytime Hazen makes a good point, he just goes... <laughs> <laughs> he does a Donald Trump and spits. Why don't we go back to Donald Trump? Spits tobacco out like. <laughs> well, supposedly, I mean, the, the stuff that's been talked about so far, and anything can happen. He can leave at any moment. But supposedly, he wants to be a consultant that just is there to, for if the if the manager or any of the coaches want to pull somebody's ear, you go to him. That's what he's going to do. He's going to be a coaching consultant. Oh, so he wasn't here to do anything. He was here for a paycheck. <laughs> no, I mean now. That's supposedly his new role is to be. Just a coaching consultant. But that, to me, that's max of, they wanted to try and save some face by not firing every single person they brought in. Because yeah, you know I mean? coaching consultant, that's, that's special assistant to the president. That's, you know, that's just a face that's attached to the organization that it's not really... Who deep. knows what's going but on? That, you think I know what's going on? I'm saying what they're saying. That's Luis Gonzalez. Well, like, he's not doing anything. He just appears at events. He's, no, I, well... I think Larusa knows. Okay, where is he going to go from here? I mean, he can go back to the MLB offices. They'll find a job for him in MLB, but he, he doesn't want to go do it. Joe Torre's shoes. Yeah, he doesn't want to do that, and no other organization is going to give him anything but what he could get here, which is a consulting gig. Unless he wants to go back to managing, and he doesn't want to go back into the dugout. So that's what you got, you know. And why go anywhere else? He probably has a nice house here. He's He's, he's getting older. He can retire. He can spend the winters here, spend spring here. And during the season, for the most part, he'll probably go up to the Bay Area or whatever other home he has, wherever he feels like going, and he can be his retired self. That's my take from being, you know, in our office where we can't even see Chase Field. I'm, I'm smelling a new Modern Times fiction, fan fiction, some uh, Tony La Russa <laughs> fan fiction. You know, I think we should. We should do, like, uh, we, yeah, I think that would be really good. We should find a Tony La Russa a body double. And then, like, take pictures of him in different places, like, Tony Larusa relaxing by the pool. Tony Larusa driving poorly on our streets. <laughs> Tony Larusa asking somebody if soy milk tastes like regular milk. Tony Larusa <laughs> asking the waiter, is this spicy? Tony Larusa spaying a feral, a feral cat <laughs> with garden tools. Um, so can the <laughs> snowbird Tony Lurs? <laughs> can you make a quick prediction on then what the difference is going to be? They talk about what uh, the, uh, the bench coach for the Red Sox, Lavulo, possibly being a manager. I mean, that's the next thing, and you know, you see it, and I kind of felt it. I like Chip Hale. I think we've all, you know, we've been around the Diamondbacks for a long time. You know, he had a history with the team. I just don't think, you know, you see him in press conferences, you see when he talks to the team, if they, he's talking to the team the same way, he doesn't have that leadership quality. I think there's something like the Joe Madden, you could tell he walks in a room, he's the guy that's kind of, you know, gathering these troops. You know, you have to have that special something, I think, to do that. Um, you know, Don Mattingly is another example. I think he's a great, he was a great ball player. I, I respect his mind, but does he have that quality to kind of lead a, lead, a, a team to the World Series? It's got to be something special. Um, and, and so that's the next step. You know, what do you see there? What, you know, know anything about Lavulo? I don't know much Sorry, about Lavulo. Damn Dago. No, no. <laughs> We're both Italian. Yeah, we both have, you know, um, nobody firebombed the office. Uh, no, I mean, my gut, just because of trends that have been happening around baseball, would say that they might go back to a player, foreign player, but even younger than they've gone in the past. Like, like the, I mean Diamondbacks. Player. Yeah, Diamondbacks. Well, not, not doesn't necessarily have to be a Diamondbacks player, but a former player that 
maybe was around in the 90s, that type of era. You know, like like the Robin Ventura hire that had happened a while back, the Dave Roberts in Los Angeles, which right. seems to be working out really well for I mean, Lovulo's a former player. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I, like I said, I don't know. Mariners, uh, Tigers, I think. I, I, just, I, I think they'll go that route. A player who embraces analytics, obviously, because that's a big part yeah. of supposedly what they're going to be doing now. I don't think they're going to go full A.J. Hinch, but... <laughs> no one wants to see a repeat of the full A.J. No, but, <laughs> uh, but a player, I think they need desperately not to choose another gritty guy. Another, this is how baseball was played in my day, and this is how we're going to continue doing it. You dive head first, you break your pinky, and you spit in the guy's eye, and you... We didn't have new baseballs in batting practice. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to keep... I don't care if we're down by three runs and the bases are loaded. We're going to hit their guy because they hit our guy on accident. Like, I need... They, they need to get... You need to get a guy who knows the game and has played the game, I think, but... You also need to get a guy that realizes that this is 2016, this isn't 1955. Yeah, and, and with analytics, I think sometimes some of those decisions are, are, are team conference room decisions, too. And I don't think you need a guy like Earl Weaver from the old days where he would make almost all those calls on who would play and who wouldn't by himself. And that's because that's the way you did it back then. Although supposedly the Orioles were one of the first teams that had some sort of computer and tried to hack, you know, really make numbers work. Crunch numbers. They but were really just playing snake. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, they had tomatoes growing in the outfield. But, you know, with the change, it really is now, I think, that you have so much that a lot of those decisions and fielding and all that stuff, it's done by committee, it's done by computer, it's done by the front office and the coaching staff. They make some of these and say, hey, this guy's good against left-handers, he hits this guy really well, you know, we should do the shift against these people. It's kind of... You know, it's that's out of the manager's hands almost, just because you need a team to do it properly, and you, you know more minds work better, and it, it it almost then becomes that it's like the head coach in college football now. They've basically accepted you're not so much X's and O's as you are winning the press conference, winning the locker room, giving the good speech, being that leader. Really, is what it is. It's more you know winning the press conference as much as anything else, and winning the locker room, talking to the guys. You know, one on one, and just having them believe, I think, is more than even the decisions you make. Obviously, then you have to do in-game stuff. Um, you know, you you have to know when to do. Say, I guess that was part of the press conference today was that whole thing about the double switch, which is now an inside joke with the Diamondbacks because that was an AJ Hinch um, kind of reference. Somebody asked if he if he knew how to do that when he when he was brought in, and supposedly um, Hazen said that today. But you know, I. I think beyond the in-game... It's not just that. It's the shift, which is a huge part of every team's defense now. Right. And analytics are in everything. It's not just who you're picking, but it's how you're actually playing on the field. Yeah, and, and it is. And Hale, I don't think, had that... He couldn't win a press conference. He didn't seem like... He's more of that old-school guy. Well, I mean, he, he kind of... In a lot of ways, he felt like Kirk Gibson 2.0. Like, just... Yeah, and less. I mean, you know, they're not good on TV. Less like, intense, but... And that was to the detriment. I think that if without the energy of Gibson, and if you just have the same kind of you know More the old ball player, you know the old. I mean, he was a lot. He reminded me a lot of Jerry Kendall, and he pulled out a lot of of those. You know, the, his his real first mentor to learn what a manager was was at U of A. You know, big time. And I think he kind of you know talked about the, you know the same way the way he addressed ball players. And I think it works in development. It works in college. Especially then, I think even now you need to have a more of a manager that's almost a celebrity like everything else, and and you need that. And you know, and 
you know, Bob Brenly can do that. You know, he was that kind of manager. Yeah. Um, I don't, Bob Brenly wasn't anything special when it came to X's and O's. He just knew, but they didn't need that team to need that because it was a bunch of veteran players. You just still had Melvin. You had your bench coaches too. And, yeah. and I think Brenly's good with in-game decision-making. I think he, he is when he's sitting in there. But it's more about what he could do at the press conference. I mean, they still, he decided, he always hit, he had a really good hunch on when to pull players and when not to, maybe when to call steal and when not to. I think he's good in that in game. He's a mustache. Yeah. But, it, you know, I think it's that idea is that you can have all that. And I think Hale did, did. He's a good baseball guy. But it's that other bit that you need to have a winning baseball team these days. And it's to have that winning the press conference, winning media, having that. That feeling over your team, and that can be to some level what happened, I think, to the Diamondbacks in the past with the with with Kirk Gibson, um, and when they went to Australia and that big fall from grace that happened that year, um, that was that, that I think that was the 2014 season, yeah. which ended up in everybody getting let go, and then the same thing that happened this year with AJ Pollock going down in 2016, and that whole season. If you don't have that guy that's able to rescue you mentally and lead that along, you know. You're going to expect that to happen in Major League Baseball. Somebody's going to get hurt, and you're going to need to repair it. There's a lot of guys that, if everything goes right, they can lead a team to the playoffs. But you need more than that. That, by definition, is Joe Girardi, by the way. Yeah, it is. And, and, and it's Joe Torre, you know, and it's, and it's Joe Madden. You know, it's, I mean, there's some guys that are at the top. I mean, Dusty Baker can do it, but he also alienates ownership and GMs because he's so insulated with his team. Sometimes he... he you know, but I mean, he's up there too. I mean, there's some guys that are really great managers, and there's everybody else. It's like, you know, in every other industry, there's always. I mean, Tony Larusa, he was like that as a manager. You know, he's that guy that can. You know, all of a sudden you'll you open up a vein for him if you need to. Last point I want to make before we switch gears to playoffs is the one re- thing I want to go back in time to. I know I spoke about how we need to get out of the 1950s and these managing and coaching decisions. I, I want to do away with the president of baseball operations. <laughs> I want to go back to when just the GM was the GM, and that was the guy who was making baseball decisions. It seems like in the last 15 years, this president of baseball operations position right. appeared out of nowhere, and then it's the he's the GM's boss, but he's not the owner. He's I just agree. Base, because I feel like you're hiring this GM because you trust his decision-making. You think he's the guy who can put a good team on the field for you. But then you're hiring someone else to do the same thing, and he's a superior it, it never made any sense to me. I feel like it, it came out of a, teams trying to hire away GMs from other teams. Right. And so they needed to give them something they weren't getting there, so they gave them a title and a pay bump. But then they started bringing in GMs under these guys. And, uh, yeah, it's... Yeah, it was also, I think, a part of also when analytics came yeah, in. Yeah, I mean... And, and they, didn't, they were like, okay, this 35-year-old guy knows about analytics, but... What I am I going to do with this 60-year-old general manager exactly. I got? So he becomes... Yeah, and, yeah, it's working in Chicago with Theo, but... He's kind of different. The godfather of this analytics thing outside of Billy Bean, right? As far as executives go, and but yeah, I think it kind of like pinpoints what's wrong here is you had Tony La Russa, and I don't think anyone was ever sure what he was actually doing. I know he; those were obviously his decisions to bring in in Stewart and Hale, but beyond that, it's. Who were who was making these decisions? Who well, decided to trade for Shelby Miller? Was that was that the GM or was that the president of baseball operations? Was it a combination of the two? Was yeah, I mean, involved? you know, there's just, a lot of things that are wrong. Just adds one more chain of communication that things can get muddled. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that are that are wrong. I think in baseball, and each team needs to figure out its 
appropriate um, um, scheme for how they're going to handle the executive. But some of it, I think, you know, if you want to use the Diamondbacks as an example, I think, is that, you know, Derek Hall is was a marketing guy with the Dodgers, you know. He came on here to run promotions and some other things and ended up becoming, you know, Another to thing. the point that that was the real push and shove with Josh Burns, too, was that he was starting to have input into base, into baseball decisions. And so... You know, you change those things and all of a sudden, you know, Hall goes away and then he starts coming back in because it's the payroll ties so tight into everything he needs to oversee as like the business guy of baseball, which is, you know, the ticket sellers, all the, you know, the in-house talent, the radio and broadcast people and all the rest of that. And so you have these, these things that separate those two sides because the general manager shouldn't be dealing with the way that the, even the game of baseball has grown. And then you have the fact that you have too, so many people within the baseball side that we talked about when analytics and the Cubs have maybe 20 assistant general managers or people they need to give titles to because they're doing all these little things that have to do with just the GM's office and it becomes too big for that just that office. But it depends on who you're putting where. Like you said, if then you're putting somebody who really is making the decisions has to be at the top and, and, and you're letting people kind of... Uh, crunch numbers or, or deal with baseball underneath you. Um, but it's when, you know, like with the Diamondbacks, it becomes muddled when you have a guy who's just a marketing guy, is really should be handling all the, you know, like ad sales and ticket sales. And, but he is starting, starts to filter into baseball because you have an ownership who's saying, how are you spending my money? Well, and who's going to empower, naturally empower the guy who keeps saying yes to him. It's, it's almost like, I think, you know, what, what we know in publishing, where now you have people that run publishing empires that are all salespeople, although you're in the business of churning out news. But it's all that way because that's the revenue source. And so the people that own it want to know the revenue source. But it works to their own detriment. Because the click, because, clickbait headlines, your copy suffers, and, right. then, and then your integrity goes out the window. And you're going to sell tickets, and you're going to have sponsors when you win baseball games. And it's the same thing. It's like if you're re- doing good reporting and journalism, what we know, instead of focusing so much on the fact that you're trying to sell ads and make money, yeah, that's all true. But you have to realize your core business in journalism is the journalism. It's not the ad sale. And the core business in baseball, baseball. Is, is the baseball team. So you, you can't It's worry. short-sighted. Exactly. And I feel, I feel like that could describe the communications degree as a whole. <laughs> uh, like, when did the communications degree become, like, the catch-all that just anyone who wanted to become a top executive in any type of organization get? You know, marketing. I, yeah, communications. Well, well no, it's because these people are good at marketing themselves to mm-hmm. ownership, I think is what it all comes down to. We, you need to stop putting marketing people in positions of power that don't involve advertising your product, like, yeah, you know, as 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 decent as Derek Hall is, probably at his job. I mean, the fact that you know you have somebody who serves as a pseudo owner. He's he's the owner's representative when because the, they're not here all the time. He's the guy watching the house for the owners, and and that's where his loyalty lies, and that's what they like. And he and guess what? He just puked on their bed. <laughs> he peed in their Cheerios, as my son likes to say. But yes, it's true. And, uh, you know, to talk about organizations that have gotten it right, I think you can say pretty much all of the four teams, trying to make a nice segue, into the playoffs this year seem to have gotten their ownership baseball mix right, at least for now, with the Dodgers especially. But, um, you know, you know the, the Indians, what they did, 
it's overlooked, I think, out here a little bit that, you know, Francona, Terry Francona, former Red Sox manager, beats and the Red Sox, comes to Cleveland. Yeah, that's I mean, one, he's got to be on that short those, list. He's one of those managers. Yeah, he's got to be on that short list of managers. Sure. Uh, and I think going back to the Dodgers, that is that division of power that needs to be there. Because anyone watching this series or the last that the Dodgers played in can tell that Dave Roberts is making decisions based on Dave Roberts. Right. No one is telling Dave Roberts, no, you can't do that. Because he's making some pretty ballsy moves. And outside of the last one, they've worked out pretty well for him. And I would argue that his decision to walk the bases loaded to get Chapman out of the game was still the right decision. Uh, yeah. It came back to bite the ass because he, ha- he also happened to have Joe Blanton on the mound, which all around here know, sure. know how that can work out for you. And he hung, <laughs> and he hung two, actually, well, if you count the neck, Hayward pitch as well, he he hung a bunch of curveball or right. sliders. And so you can not you can make the best decision in the world if your pitcher hangs a slider. And you know Clayton Kershaw's coming in game two, too. Yeah. I mean, you know. I mean, they they won a game in Chicago. You know, mission accomplished. Yeah. Well, and they also proved to their players that Chapman is hittable. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, the Giants did that too. I and, mean, uh, But I, I feel like with a guy like Chapman, when he's coming at you with 103, that is psycholo- psychological as much as anything else. Because right. he, more than any other pitcher, he seems unhittable. Mm-hmm. When you see a 103-mile-an-hour fastball comes in and you're two seconds late on your swing, He's unhittable. That's a psychological. Yeah, two very, seconds is still saying a lot. I mean, yeah, you know, we're talking about a half a tenth a second. Yeah, I, I was I'm right. facetious. But I know, but I mean, he, you know, that's a psychological barrier as much as anything else. So when you see Adrian Gonzalez go up there and thwap it right back up the middle, then you're like, okay, this guy's not invincible. And at that point, that takes away a lot of his leverage, because that pitch is straight. Right. Chapman's pitch. There's no movement on that thing. Right, right, right. He, he's, I would argue in some ways he's not pitching. He's throwing. And you can't get away with that when you throw 93. But when right. you throw 103, you can largely get away from it because it's hard to catch up to. He, it's got no movement. You look at Kenley Jansen throwing 98. Yeah, that's and, nasty. And that thing is tailing. That thing is all over the place. Yeah, uh, that's, t- you know, it is totally nasty. And and I don't know if you've seen the uh, um, documentary uh, fastball. fastball. I have. So, you know, I mean, that's where, we, you know, it really stuck in my mind when you said two seconds. And I know, I know yeah. you know that... You know, all, yeah, it's all, a modern, it's a physiological marvel. That and they, Chapman was the big, was a big part of that moving yeah. fastball. And talking the, about because, the fastest and I agree with you that it's, that, you know, you can look at it for everybody else and, and, and what fastball shows you how once you start getting over 100 miles an hour, you almost can't make a decision. You're yeah. not making a decision. Your brain is predicting where it thinks it's going to be. Right, and, and you have to choose, and you might choose wrong or right, but that's what makes it even more difficult to hit somebody over 100, deg- uh, 100 degrees, 100 miles an hour. And if you don't have, it, that the human brain can't keep up. It has nothing to do with going to the gym or taking steroids. You just can't do it. No. Um, but your point is also made, though, that when he drops to 98, because he, he did, and especially when they were playing the Giants, he was thrown under 100 miles an hour. And when he is with his he's straight more fastball. more than he ever has pitched in his life. Exactly. And, and it's been a tough year. I mean, he's been with three teams in the last calendar year, right? He's only got four fingers. Well, no one can see that. <laughs> Wait. All right. All that's right. just your prediction for the that's offseason. My, that's my Pinocchio That's for the your name. prediction but, for the offseason. He's uh, going to yeah. go somewhere. He's going to go to the Dodgers. He might. He might, especially, especially if the, if the uh, Cubs don't make it. Yeah. Um, but I still think they, they, they probably will, as much as I don't want to see it. But, but, but to your larger point, it's, 
it's a crapshoot once that ball's over 100. But when he gets below 100, he's no longer a he dominant closer because he has no movement. Right. I Yeah, that's why Mariano, Mariano never threw 100. Right. But that cutter was nasty. And you couldn't predict it. You couldn't, no, because that cut, because it started over here and end up over here. And, and it, it was, sometimes it would break four inches. And some, yeah, you, you, you have no idea. It was always nasty, though. It was. And, yeah, that guy was throwing, topping out around 94. Yeah, again, we'll pull one out from the old vault. It's the difference, you know, it's the Andy Bennis fastball. Yeah. You know, and he killed kids in, 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 in college, uh, figuratively, not literally. Um, but, you know, he would just mow them down in college because he yeah. threw the ball near 100 miles an hour. But then when he got to the pros, by the time he made the majors and he was only throwing at 97 and it was straight, he got shelled. Yeah, well, it's every dominant high school. Like, everyone has that kid in their high school who was the best player. Some of them went on to actually do stuff, but it wasn't because of that 98, 96-mile-an-hour fastball they were throwing that was straight. They figured out how to pitch. Right. Chapman never really did that. He doesn't really have anything else. And as soon as that velocity drops, he's hittable. That's why I think the Dodgers have the advantage in this series at this point, is because they both got great starting pitching. And, but once you get to that bullpen, I, I think Jansen, and Jansen's proved it, he can pitch a couple innings for you. Yeah, but how long can he do it? I mean, That's true, and that's something know, they're going to have to deal with. I know he's a big son of a gun. I mean, he's like 6'3", mm-hmm. 260 or something like he that. Do, he does have six four. A girthier frame. Oh, he is Chapman. a big man. Um, so if anyone can stand up to it, I think it'd be him. But but like you said, you never know when something's going to pop, and then he's done. Yeah. But they're throwing Chapman. They're not throwing Chapman um, as many innings at a time, but he has pitched in every single game in the postseason for the Cubs. And the right. wear and tear day-to-day is almost worse than that wear and tear throwing a couple innings at a time because because once you get into that once you throw a couple pitches a couple batters in you're warm and you're throwing but when you're constantly going from cold to throwing cold to throwing every single day without yeah, a day yeah. in between a rest that that could show some serious wear and tear and in these games where these games are all decided by one run outside of because of Montero's grand slam but for all intents and purposes, you believe Montero came through yeah. Well, I mean, if he doesn't get a home run, he doesn't get a hit, right? So yeah, he figured all, his, yeah. his number was due. All intent, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that was a one-run game. It just happened to be a grand slam, so it wasn't on the scorecard. But that was a close game throughout. And I don't know. I just I think Dodgers have the advantage because I think Chapman is hittable, and I think the Cubs know that now. I mean, the Dodgers know that now. Yeah. And so. And you think you got Kershaw at least one other time? Yeah, yeah, if not coming out of the bullpen. And, then in the and bullpen. if it goes game seven, he'll be coming out of the bullpen, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be tough for them, I think. You know, uh, Arietta's good. Uh, you know, Lackey's yeah. good. I mean, they have a, I mean, like you said, the Cubs have a good staff. It's just, you know, I don't think they have that, you know, like you said, Jansen in the back end, and you got Kershaw to give you at least two starts. Because they've got Rondon to back up Chapman, but that dude's got no confidence because he blew a few saves in the middle of the season and they traded for Chapman. How about the American League? What do you think about it? I think Cleveland is going to... I mean, obviously, Toronto... What Toronto's key is is hitting home runs. That's what they do. And this this Cleveland pitching staff has just shut them down. Yeah. And now you got Joey Bats going on Twitter and complaining that the strike zone's a little too wide. Joey Bats. And... (laughs) And have you seen the uh, Indians have been trolling him now? No, I haven't. Yeah, he seen. basically went on there and said that 
uh, what was the word he used? I can't remember the word, but something like circumstances or something were in the Indians' favor because they, uh, the umps have had a wide strike zone, was his contention. And I guess Cleveland put up a big banner in their stadium with all their pitchers, starting pitchers. <laughs> And it said, we control the circumstances or something like that. I can't remember the exact phrasing, but they're basically just trolling him right back. Um, yeah, you know, it's... And once you, get play, once you get batters complaining about the strike zone, yeah. you know they're in rough shape. Yeah, you know, I, and like we said, I just think that uh, Frank Hona is that kind of manager, and it rises to the top. And I think that's yeah. why the, you know, the Cubs and Dodgers is the best playoff baseball series um, so far, those first two games have been just, you know, riveting baseball and some of the best yeah. playoff baseball that you have. I mean, you know, not to downplay any other years, but that's, you know, that's a really great no, series. It feels a lot to me like those Yankees-Red Sox series yeah. in the early to mid-2000s that led up to the Red Sox eventually overtaking them. I know, I realize there's not the same rivalry implications there. But it almost feels like that. Yeah. That's how good the games have been. Yeah, and the teams are really good. I yeah, mean, you and, know, the I man, mean, and both managers are managing their asses off. Right. Like, there's a lot of unorthodox baseball going on. Like, Kirk Gibson is just pissed right now. <laughs> <laughs> he is upset. <laughs> Pete Rose, I mean, you can see it afterwards, though. All right, Pete, yeah, Pete, Pete Rose, Rose is just, so, I don't know who caught the post-game uh, coverage from Only game Rupert Murdoch would so, put Pete Rose on the air. Pete seriously. Rose is just like Harold Reynolds is getting legitimately upset because <laughs> Pete Rose just keeps going back to when they had Ben Zobrist square around a butt. Ben Zobrist is batting in the four spot. Right. Now, anyone who's seen a baseball game that Ben Zobrist has been in knows he's not a he's not a cleanup hitter. Right, he's not the prototype. He's, no, he's a two seventy five, two eighty five hitter. He's not George Foster really, with the Reds, really right? good Pete. On, yeah, really good on base percentage. You know, he's going to hit you know, right. a lot of doubles, a lot of singles. Well, you, I mean, but Madden this, hits uh, but, Bryant second. Yeah, well, but this is, this is well, and once going back to analytics, that's, that's where you the should spot hit that. where you I mean, the for, best for, for Pete Rose, that cross section of opportunity and RBI opportunity right. is batting second. That's why Matt, Mike Trout right. almost consistently bats second. But going back to this, Pete Rose is just pissed. And he's like, I can't believe, you know, I think he, Madden got outmanaged. I can't believe he had his cleanup hitter square around a bunt. Harold Reynolds chimes in and says, well, Zobris is not your prototypical cleanup hitter. You think it's over. Five minutes later, can't believe they have their cleanup hitter square around a bunt. He turns to Frank Thomas and Alex Rodriguez and goes, you guys are both cleanup hitters for most of your career. When was the last time you bunted? Never, right? And Harold Reynolds is, like, at the point of yelling. <laughs> and he goes, he's not the prototypical cleanup hitter. This is not a 40-plus home run guy. This is not. If it were Chris Bryant sitting in the four spot, then yes, I, I'd agree with you, but it's Ben Zobrist. There's nothing ridiculous about Ben Zobrist. See, but that's also on. the argument against having a prototypical fourth hitter. Yeah. I mean, or for it, is also that if you, Bryant gets on base in that situation, then you have a guy that you're, you, you feel okay with bunting to get him over with instead of going for the home run. You know yeah, what I mean? I, but you also know that he could hit for average, so... Yeah, I think it's a great move out Right. Because especially in this series where the do the one thing that's bitten the Dodgers right now is outside of the grand all bunt last night, they have not been able to manufacture runs small ball style. These guys trying to bunt looks like uh, Yasiel Puig trying to party in a minor league uh, baseball bus. <laughs> like, something's not right. <laughs> Speaking of that Puig bunt attempt last night to... Well, you know, Puig is marches to his own drummer, and and you know that's the the other point I think 
do you want to make about Puig is that not Dave Roberts just going with what he thinks is best or looking at things, making the call, not having ownership make the call for you. Oh, yeah. He's Puig been... never would have got sent down. No, and now he's only being used situationally. He's not starting. He's getting thrown in there. when they, he's, They're putting him in there for defense because as erratic as his defense is, He's got a cannon. He's got a cannon, and the raw talent's there. He can get to a lot of stuff that a lot of guys can't. He might right. dive 10 feet past it. <laughs> and his arm reminds me of early Justin Upton. When, yeah. you know, he has a cannon, but occasionally the ball would end Misfire. up 30 feet up on the tarp that's behind right. home plate. He got it home, and they'd be like, the catcher would be standing, and the ball would just sail right over his head. On a fly, though. Um, it's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I, this is an exciting series. It's one of the most exciting playoff series we've had in a long time. I'm excited for this Cleveland-Chicago World Series, though, if that happens, because it's just a matchup between two of America's garbage cities. Yeah, and I think it's a toss-up. I, you know, I do think I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, be, you know, being an Arizonan and being a Diamondbacks fan and kind of watching National, National League Baseball and National League West Baseball for the most part, because that's when I'm not working teams are still playing. I mean, sometimes I get off work and there's half the schedule's done and all the teams in the East Coast. So, you know, the exposure to the Indians hadn't really been there. And so, you know, when I watched the first playoff series, you know, when you watch that Red Sox series, you know, you see, wow, you know, good team, you know, good management. You know, obviously, Francona hasn't lost anything. He's still he's still the same guy that he always was. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, you have to be impressed there. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I just, you know, I think Toronto's... You know, kind of like every time the Rockies make the playoffs. I mean, I hate that. I mean, I just get that feeling. I mean, why Tulo went there was because, you know, they are like the Rockies of the Great White North, you know. Um, and, and, you know, it's the same thing. Whenever, the, if their bats go cold, they're done. And, it, you know, having to win three series to win a World Series, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's going to be tough with that team. Um, and I agree with you. It could be any team with the Cubs or the, you know, between the Cubs and the Dodgers, you know, flip a coin and you'll be just as right as, as seeing but what happens. realize if we get Cleveland, Chicago, you have one city whose main river has been on fire multiple times <laughs> versus another city that was literally born out of 40 acres of bullshit. Right. <laughs> well, there you go, right? I mean, it's a matchup made in Midwest. Power Canada. back to the Midwest. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. I mean, the rise of the Rust Belt once again, you know, it's, uh, you know, the Gulf has been hammered enough, and then lately it's been hammered by Hurricane Trump. Has been around the Great Lakes trying to get those people up in Michigan and Illinois and uh, Ohio. But uh, I, you know, I, I can't see it being anything but that. Um, you know, the Dodgers I think have a chance. I, I really kind of wrote them off. I thought that the you know the Giants were going to be able to knock them off, and then it was going to be the same old same old Giants were going to try to you know kind of run their Madison Bumgarner you know buzzsaw into somebody. But, um, you know, the way the Dodgers have it set up, the hot, as hot as they feel, they, I really think, like you said, I think they bought into Dave Roberts. They're having fun playing yeah. baseball. You know, so then anything can happen. And if anybody's going to beat Joe Madden, I think it's going to be Dave Roberts right now in that he Dodgers seemed, Yeah, he seems like he's well on his way to becoming one of those very good managers just because he's making, obviously it's too early to say that definitively, but he's making good decisions. And it does seem like there's some guys in the Cubs that are oppressing because of the weight of what's going Rizzo. on. You know, I mean, one hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and uh, it's it's not it can't be easy. Uh, you know, you can talk all about what happened with the Red Sox, but uh, you know, and how that plays over. I mean, you have the you know Theo Epstein you know relationship. You have 
you know, that whole thing where they can get the monkey off their back. But um, I think it was to the Red Sox advantage that they got down, you know, because then all of a sudden they weren't playing for anything. And the monkey was off because they should, if they would lose at this point, well, they had already fallen behind. I think they felt that pressure early. And, I, you know, that takes us then as a different special team and different special kind of players to once you're down to be able to come back. I'm, and, I, you know, can you repeat that magic? It's going to be something, you know, once you start having any kind of doubt, and I think that, like you said, I think um, the, the, the Dodgers have planted in some of the Cubs' minds, um, whether you're talking about a Chapman or anybody else, that he's beatable and that the Cubs are beatable. And I really think the Dodgers think they're beatable and they can win. And, you know, that's half the battle. And after watching my friend, my Cubs fan friends' responses to this series, I, God, I hope they implode. Yeah, I mean, you know, we hate to throw that out there. but The most you know, insufferable fan base in baseball. Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, being the last time the Diamondbacks made the playoffs in 2011 was uh, the previous regime's last time into yeah. the playoffs. And going to uh, Chase Field at that time with uh, Cubs fans uh, gave me a new uh, lack of appreciation. And, that's you know, like we've had perfect, to live with it. And here. that's just like a perfect storm, too. Cubs fans mixed with Diamondbacks fans because they're two different types of awful. Yeah, I agree. The Cubs fans are too invested and the Diamondbacks fans aren't, aren't invested, invested at enough. all. Yeah. Half the people in the stadium, so 10, don't know that baseball's even happening. Yeah. It's like going to the Suns. They game. think they're it's at a catch concert thing. or yeah, something. Yeah. And... But, you know, it's, 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 it's the Cubs. I have to root, like I told you earlier, you know, I have to root for the Yeah, it makes me root for the Dodgers. And, and that really makes me sick being a. Uh, you know, current Diamondbacks fan. I was a Giants fan before that, um, so you know it's it's hard to root for the Dodgers. I'm still an Angels fan, so I'm just sad all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, they have hope. I that's really... kind of like returning to form. You know, uh, we had a decade of where we were pretty decent for a while there, and oh, now we're just the Angels is you know it's always going to be it's one of those things. Rolling back into wasting the career of a really good player with a fish last name. You know and. It again goes back full circle. I think to our you know initial discussion of ownership uh, management. You know you can say the same thing about the Angels. Just oh, yeah. to throw Already that Marino's last piece. Totally meddlesome manager. Well, there. we're lucky then, I guess, that he doesn't own his hometown team. Yeah, because uh, it looked for a moment there like he was a good owner, but really they were living off of a lot of the remnants of the previous ownership. Right. Vladimir Guerrero and such, and. Once he started really getting involved, stuff went south. Because for all that, the Hamilton deal was his idea. Yeah. And then the decision to jettison Hamilton and pay him was also his idea. Well, you know, I guess if you got the money, the only thing more lucrative than getting Artie Moreno to like you is getting Artie Moreno to hate you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's a that's a great plan. There's somebody in the Angels organization is going to hear this and be like. Hey, I have a new... We should get uh, Tim Salmon on here to... Why not? Figure out... He can tell us how Mike Trout feels right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's in town somewhere. It is winter. No, he is. He, no, he uh, he's the head coach at Scottsdale Christian that's Academy. That's right, that's right. Full. Hey, go dig back into those connections. Wayne. I went there for preschool. <laughs> this is not a lie. Uh, last question for you, though. Would you trade Kendrick to the Angels for Moreno? Howie Kendrick? No. <laughs> Ken Kendrick. Like, like, say somebody said, okay, Ken Kendrick, you can have Yeah, because Moreno's willing to spend more money. They're like, 
Yeah, but he. But that's just because he's the angels. And he gets to get he's, the, the SoCal. He's they're they're cut from the same cloth. I think. I don't think it'd make any difference either way. Yeah. Well, you know, the only thing you can't do. Well, actually, about maybe is I would because he uh, he might fire Mike Sosha, and Mike Sosha needs to be fired now. A lot of this actually stems from him. Oh, I don't know. I his don't know. Uh, from, all right. What, I, what I've heard. Angels fan. Is his? Uh, it's his unwillingness to change and embrace some new philosophies mm. that's gotten that got DePoto fired and all that kind of thing. It basically DePoto said it's me or him. And they said we're gonna go with him. Yeah, well, you know. Maybe DePoto was the other the other hire you should have made, you know. It's you know, if you want to go back to the Diamondbacks again. Yeah. You know, there's Rizzo, I think is the the one you missed out on and I think DePoto was the same way. You know, you went with Towers, well, maybe DePoto would have still been here because Towers one of the old school guys just said, hey, we're doing it my way. Well, once it. again, some of his decisions turned out to be... They did. They turned out to be fine, and I think it's the same thing. I think you're still shooting fish in a barrel if you're a GM because you you can still win the World Series and not be analytics-based. We'll finally know it's all done when they hire Keith Law. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's wanted it. No. He, he's wanted it for a long I'm time. I'm sure he sent his resume in. <laughs> Every time. Unsolicited. <laughs> that just, ESPN columnist, but... <laughs> he just says it. Well, he he did work in a front office at one point. I know. But now he's... At yeah. one point. <laughs> he really wants that point to happen again, but... He just sends in his columns. That's what we should start doing. <laughs> Every time there's a GM opening, we should just send in columns. Look, I'm a baseball expert, just like Keith Law. Look, I compared the Albert Pujols signing to Camus. <laughs> I think you I did. Was, you did. For anybody who wants to read that, search modernizedmagazine.com. I think outside the box. <laughs> Way outside the box. There is no box, in fact. <laughs> the world is my box. The universe is my box. Uh, Wayne, let's let's do this again. Yeah. Before the World Series, what do you okay. say? We'll find out what's happening. We, 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 I think we got two weeks. Um, I haven't so. alienated all the interested parties by calling them trash cities. <laughs> hey, you know, you gotta call the dog by its name. Hey. <laughs> I apologize, Cleveland. Even if it's on fire, at least you have water. Yeah, yeah, you know, the good thing about Cleveland is they're not like Dave Stewart. They don't have better things to do. <laughs> Wade, I enjoyed it. Thanks yeah, for having me on time. your show. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for giving me my own show. Well, you know, you deserved it. And um, I won't grope you or, or uh, fire you from The Apprentice. Yeah, well, in 10, 15 years when you run for president, we'll see what I have to say on that. Well, thanks for joining you. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Say good, say good night, Gracie. Signing off.